to the place called the Skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last breath. Welcome to Good Friday. You guys can have a seat. If we're honest with ourselves, this day is a little weird where we celebrate the death of a man sent to die for our sake named Jesus. Uh, I'm always reminded, especially today, that the power that death has in our lives, how fragile and complex life is. Often when we uh, hear the news of death, uh, there's very little rejoicing, very little happiness, and not a whole lot of thanking God. When we find out a loved one passes, uh, we immediately remember the last thing that we said to them, the last thing that they said to us. And we oftentimes uh, think of the things that we wish we could still say to them now. Death has a sense of mystery and hardship that surrounds it. It's strange, it hurts, and it has hardly ever been seen as fair or the right time for someone to go. We would hardly ever refer to death as being good. But something is uniquely different surrounding this death of a man named Jesus and why we call it Good Friday. So let's find out together why we call this death good. Let's start with a quick word of prayer. God, we are so grateful. (laughs) Words don't even do justice uh, to the goodness of the cross the good news that you bring and have brought into all of our lives for generations. Lord, I pray that as we sit uh, in this message tonight that we would be reminded that there's no place you won't go, no shadow you won't light up, no mountain that is too high for you to climb. Lord, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Hey, we're going to be in John chapter 4, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, it's a longer story of the gospel, and I love what happens here. So sit up tall, get ready, and let's read this. Uh, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So let's stop here for just a second. Uh, Notice here, it wasn't that Jesus needed to go through uh, Samaria. It says that he had to. Uh, Much like if you're familiar with Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He had to go. It wasn't that he needed to, he had to. Jesus stopped to get water at a well because he was physically tired. 
He'd been traveling from Judea to Galilee and he stops in this city called Sychar, which was about 64 miles away from Judea. So you can see why he's tired. Now he didn't have to go to Samaria. In fact, uh, this was out of the normal route of travel. Most Jews going from Judea to Galilee would have went around this region. Uh, And because they hated each other. The Jews would actually pray in their synagogues that God wouldn't grant the Samaritans forgiveness of their sins. So there's already a cultural reason for Jesus not to go here. And then the fact that it was out of his way was another reason not to go there. So keep that in mind as we keep reading in verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealing with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus is like, hey, can I have some water? And this this lady looks at Jesus and first thing she says is like, whoa, 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 why are you talking to me? Right? We have no reason to be seen together, let alone you, a Jewish man, actually be talking to me. And Jesus, uh, I imagine sitting there uh, thirsty after walking 64 miles, could probably care less about where this woman was from or what the cultural norms were. And then he says, he's, he's like, if you knew who I was asking you, you'd ask him for living water. Right? Don't you think that'd be a really weird uh, kind of conversation starter? And I love that the first thing that this woman says back to that is like, sir, you don't even have anything to draw water with. Like Jesus says to her, hey, if you knew who was talking, you'd ask for living water. And she completely dodges that statement. And there's no way you're getting that water. You don't even have a bucket. I don't know about you, but if someone came up to me in a place where they shouldn't have been in the first place and said, hey, I'm the living water that you seek, be a little creeped out. But this woman just straight up goes like super practical and it's like, dude, you don't even have a pail to get water. And then I, th- I kind of think she realized what he said. It was like, what do you mean by living water? And Jesus explains a little more and is like, yes, uh, this water from this well, uh, you'll be thirsty again right? The well of Jacob where they were was significant throughout the Bible and throughout history. Many important things happened here. And Jesus is saying to her, hey, you can keep coming back to what you've known 
what your family has known, what their family knew, and what your ancestors have known. Or you can come and drink from my well and have this living water. And the woman is like, yep, done deal. (laughs) Right, living water sounds good to me. No questions asked. Why would I wanna be thirsty again? Like, I don't know uh, how many people in here have ever tried to share your faith with someone, uh, whether it be a close friend or somewhere out in public, but it usually doesn't happen where you're sitting at a coffee shop uh, or at your house and you say something like, hey, uh, Jesus loves you. He's the living water. He died for your sins and he wants to have a relationship with you. And they're like, yep, (laughs) sign me up. No questions asked, you would be in shock. And you'd be like, let's celebrate. Let's get, out, let's get out the baptism. We need a pastor, right? Easiest acceptance of Jesus into someone's life ever. Pack it up. Job is done. Get them serving. Plug them into a small group. Like ultimate evangelism story of the year. And then Jesus opens his mouth again. <laughs> and makes this conversation so awkward. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, said, said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, he. Right? Like, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the family of following Jesus. Glad you accepted the living water. Glad you're part of grace. Excited to meet you. Now go get your husband. Right? How awkward is Jesus? Right? First, Jesus knew that this woman was already a social outcast. She was at the well by herself in the middle of the day. Well, why was that weird? Well, because in the middle of the day, the water would have been hot. The sun was uh, at high noon. People went to the, to the well in the morning and at night because the water was cool. So Jesus knew from this alone that she was already an outcast, that other people did not want to be with her. And it almost seems like insult to entry. And he says, go get your husband. And she says, he's not my husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. 
I have a feeling that after five husbands living with a guy who isn't your husband and staying in the same small town that you'd probably have a reputation about yourself that wouldn't be so much fun to talk about, let alone with a complete stranger uh, who was a Jewish man who shouldn't have been there in the first place. But Jesus has this knack for always meeting us right where we are, no matter our situations. From the start of this story, Jesus didn't have to be there. He didn't have to go to Samaria. He didn't have to bring up this lady's past. He could have gone with the disciples to town, get some food and water, but he didn't. And what does that tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about how we're supposed to relate to this story? What does it have to do with Good Friday and Jesus dying on the cross for us? Right? Every single one of us came in here tonight thinking you'd hear, oh, it is finished, or the road to Calvary, or Judas betraying Jesus again. But I think as a society in a world, we're kind of in this weird place right now that's a little bit more divisive than what it might, might have been in the past. A lot has happened in the last year and a half, and I think if I've learned anything uh, in the past year that my circumstances, uh, COVID, uh, the president, those things don't define the Jesus that I worship, Amen. Amen. So here's three things uh, from this story with the woman at the well that I think we need to be met with in particular this Good Friday. The first is that Jesus reaches us in the most unlikely places. Jesus found this woman in the middle of Samaria, a place that he, a Jew, should not have been. And he does the same uh, for us. A little bit about me. Jesus met me in college a very unlikely place in today's society, the time in life where an alarming rate of people fall away from the faith, I was met with grace. And I'm sure uh, it's a similar story for many of you, that Jesus met you in a very unlikely life circumstance, a death of a loved one, some kind of hardship, a diagnosis, a low point, because Jesus often finds us in the most unlikely of places. It's what he does who he is. It was noon when Jesus met this broken, socially outcasted woman in the middle of nowhere and still looked to her to offer her a new way of life. Jesus doesn't wait for you to be in the right place at the right time because he is always at the right time or in the right time at the right place ready to meet us there. We don't have to make sure all of our ducks are in a row for Jesus to show up. He finds us no matter if we're at a well in Samaria or here in Demont. There might be unlikely places for us, but Jesus doesn't have unlikely places that he won't go. The second thing is that Jesus meets us in our most unaccepted situations. This, this woman would not have had the most respected uh, reputation in town. To have five husbands and living with a man who wasn't her husband, uh, believer or non-believer, that probably didn't build the most credible social game. I'm sure it drew a reputation. This woman uh, might have been, no doubt, seen as an outcast. Yet there's Jesus, right? He's not condemning her. He's offering her a new way of living a way out of her sinful patterns, a way out of maybe having a low self-worth. See, Jesus wasn't saying uh, what she had done was okay. He was saying, you can have new life. 
That's what he was inviting her into when he made it real awkward. This woman full of shame, guilt, and sin uh, to come and get water in the heat of the day and comes this average looking rabbi asking for some water. Jesus meets us in our most unaccepted situations. The thing you feel most guilty about, the things that you keep hidden from your friends and family, the things that you uh, know if someone found out about, they'd hurt your reputation, your relationship, your pride, the things that keep you up at night, the thing that society would scoff at for you admitting, Jesus is there offering you a new way of life. He's saying that to the woman there and he's saying it to us. Don't go back to the well that you have tried for yourself over and over and over again. And thirdly, Jesus does the unthinkable by inviting us to a new way of living. I don't know about you, um, but I have a hard time finding myself in what I call a Christian bubble, uh, that the majority of the time I am with other Christians. That's not always a bad thing, but I have to ask myself, kind of do a gut check. If this woman in a small town with five ex-husbands and living with someone who wasn't her husband, would I have shown her the grace that Jesus did? Would I have had the conversation to tell her about Jesus? Would I have given her the time of day? Jesus looked at this woman and said, no, 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 my dear daughter, come and follow me. I have something better for you. My dear son, uh, come follow me. That's what he's telling us today. Come and follow me. Jesus offers this woman the same invitation that he still offers to every single one of us today. He's still asking us to follow him, still inviting us into the freedom, the peace, and the love, and the grace that only he has in giving us the living water. So why did I share this story about the woman at the well on Good Friday? Because I think sometimes we need reminded that Jesus goes to the most unlikely place in the cross because someone like you and me feels unaccepted from our sin and does the unthinkable by inviting us to follow him in his death for our sake. He invites us to never be thirsty again, to never drink from that old well that we were used to drinking from, the old habits that have made us tired, the old way of living, the old way of coping with hardship. He invites us into something new. Jesus went to the cross and died for that thing that you feel most ashamed about. He died for your past, he died for your present, and he died for your future. He died so you could experience a full life of living water. When we say it is finished, we mean debt paid in full. Oh, death, where is your sting? But we still go on. We still have a life that is full of hardship. This story doesn't say anything else about this woman. And I think that's kind of the point. We don't need our story wrapped up with a bow, ready to be delivered or given to someone. Right? We don't even know what living in this living water means half the time. Following Jesus surely doesn't mean uh, bad things won't happen or hardships won't still be a part of our everyday life. Just because we say yes to Jesus doesn't mean our lives will always make sense either. 
But I would really like to hope that just like this woman at the well, that we are met here today in the same way, full of grace, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what Jesus was going to do for the, on the cross for us. Jesus knows this woman has made some choices in her past. <laughs> I mean, five husbands, that's a lot of choices. <laughs> Comes with a lot of baggage. And I'm sure we have a lot of baggage. He didn't scoff at her. He didn't bring her past up to scold her. He brought it up for that woman to look inward. (laughs) He brought it up to show her that the old well that she had been going to isn't fulfilling. And he looked at her, said, no, 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 woman. (laughs) There's still hope. There is still hope. There's a better way of living the way that you're living and I am going to bring that hope for you on the cross. So we're gonna take communion together and this is an invitation. (laughs) This is a chance for us to look inward to ourselves and just ask ourselves, what's, what's our five husbands? Right? What would Jesus awkwardly have brought up in this conversation at the well? What would he have told you to go get? Maybe it's a wound that needs healed. Maybe it's a, a sin pattern that you just can't control. Maybe it's realizing for the first time in a long time who Jesus actually is meant to be in your life. So as we take this bread together, may we be reminded that Jesus was sent to die, (laughs) sent to die a death that he didn't deserve for someone like the woman at the well, for someone like me, and for someone like you. As we take this drink together, may we be reminded that we are all invited into this new way of living. That this new way of living isn't easier. It isn't a shortcut. It isn't an instant fix. But by drinking this, we are remembering what we are being invited into by following Jesus.